If you have your Bibles, we want to turn to the book of 2 Peter, and we want to follow up from where we were before. Um, I want to look here in verses 5 through 15 today, uh, and we want for thought as we're looking at part two of this series, Jesus, He's Worthy of Our Devotion, we want to just think today of a charge to continue to grow. A charge to continue to grow. Now, a couple weeks ago, we, we looked at verses 1 through 4 in chapter 1 of Second Peter. And we did title that series, Jesus, He's Worthy of Our Devotion. The last time we saw exactly why Jesus was worthy of our devotion, it was due to the fact that, that, Jesus, that through Jesus we've obtained a, a, a precious faith. Through Jesus we've received a divine power. And through Jesus we have his many promises. We could truthfully say if only one of those was granted to us, he's still worthy. He's still worthy of our devotion. But he has promised us all three of those right there in those first four verses. And now that we know this, Peter continues by sharing that for this reason, for the reason that Jesus is worthy, for the reason that he's given us a precious faith, for the reason that we have this divine power, for the reason that we have all his promises, that we now as born-again believers, we have a responsibility. And he shares in verses 5 through 15 about that responsibility. The Bible teaches us in these verses, says, but also... For this very reason, given all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be more diligently, be more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Though you now are, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up. By reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as my Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. This is God's holy word. God, we thank you. We praise you for your word. For what your word means to us. 
Now we pray, God, that you would help us to understand our responsibility. Help us, God, to understand the great call of giving you all our devotion and serving you. Now, God, be with us through this message. Speak to our hearts today. And if there's one here that doesn't know you for the forgiveness of sin, God, we pray that they would today call out, what must I do to be saved? That today they'll seek your face. For if they seek you, God, they shall find you. God, we thank you for loving us, taking care of us and bringing us to this day, to this appointed time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The, that responsibility that Peter shares with us is our responsibility to grow in our faith. Now, once Jesus has given us a measure of faith, and we've exercised that faith in that we've received him as our Lord and Savior, it doesn't stop there. We tend to want to think it stops right there, and we're okay. But Peter helps us to see that it goes a, a lot further. And today I, I want to be as honest and straightforward as I can. You all right with that? Uh, I'm, I'm not coming to beat us up. I'm coming to help us today, to encourage us. Uh, so I'm going to be as honest and straightforward as I can be. We, we will never grow in our faith if we never exercise our faith. Now, I'm not talking about exercising our bodies. I'm talking about ex putting our faith into action. I'm talking about walking and living out our faith. <clears throat> what this means is when God is inviting us to join him in whatever it is he's doing around us, then that's what we do. We join him. Too many of us are like Moses. And we remember when Moses was called by God to go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let the children of Israel go, Moses made excuse after excuse as to why he shouldn't go. As a matter of fact, Moses carried on so that God told Moses that I will be with you. And Moses still was making excuses. God even ensured Moses that he would stretch out his hands and he would strike Egypt with all his wonders. Do you know what that means? Can I say that the way we would understand it? God is saying, Moses, I'll just slap the taste out of their mouth. You won't have to do nothing but just go there and speak on my behalf. Boy, that sounds like it would be easy to do, wouldn't it? Just go and say what God said because God's going to be the one to strike them. But Moses still, after that, he made excuse after excuse after excuse. He questioned God. He gave these, his excuses of why he shouldn't go. And he even pleaded with God to send someone else. You remember in Exodus 4 and 13, the Bible says, but he, he being Moses, he said, oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. 
You know, because of that, what God did, God told Moses, he said, okay, Aaron will go, and Aaron will be your mouthpiece. Moses said, I, I can't speak, Lord. Well, Aaron, you go. You know why the people called on Aaron to build that, to build that false god in the wilderness? Because they looked at Aaron, because Aaron walked into the temple, walked into that Egyptian temple with Moses, and he, when he did, he was there, and he was seen as a leader by the people. That wasn't God's intention. So when Moses was up on that mountain, Aaron was left back, and they looked at him to lead them where if Moses would have walked in by himself and left Aaron where Aaron was supposed to be to begin with and Moses would have followed God if they would have waited for Moses to come off that mountain but no Moses he pled and he pled and he pled to where God was about to kill him And Moses' wife immediately circumcised her son and threw the flesh down at Moses and said, you're a man of blood. And God relented. Had it not been for that act of obedience, God would have struck Moses dead before he ever got to Egypt. I'm afraid that too often we are a lot like Moses. God has given us a precious faith. He's given us a divine power. He's given us too many promises for us not to grow in our faith. Too many times we are like Moses and we want to make excuse as to why we're not doing what God has called us to do. Well, some of you may be asking, well, how? How is it that we can grow to where we'll trust God? Well, Peter shares in here exactly how we can He gives instructions, and we see the instructions in verses 5 through 7. We see the instructions that we are to add to our faith. God has given us a measure of faith. Romans 12 and 3 says God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. And in order for us to grow in our faith, we must add to it according to Peter. So he instructs us first to add virtue to the faith. Now we struggle to understand what this means because we, when we think of a virtuous life, we think of something that's perfect. We think of something that's sinless. But none of us are perfect. None of us will ever live to be perfect here on earth. And to add virtue to our faith is simply to trust the word of God so that we live our lives as real men and real women. It's that we live our lives as we should, choosing the right path as we live out as examples to others who are watching us on this journey. When we're living as an example, when we're trusting God's word, we're living virtuously. But Peter also instructs that we're not only to add virtue, but we're to add knowledge. Folks, we can attain knowledge. You you understand that, don't you? All we've got to do is read. We don't have to go get formal education. If we just read, we gain knowledge. But wisdom is knowing what to do with the knowledge that we've attained. So when we're faced with the trials and temptations of life, we know what to do with it when we've gained wisdom. It's needful for us to have knowledge to know where to go and how to figure out how to conquer all the struggles that we're going through in this life if we don't have the knowledge to know that we can look in God's word and find the knowledge that we need to to stand in the midst of trouble in the midst of strife in the midst of turmoil in our lives then we'll never stand we'll find ourselves fallen at all times he also instructs us to have self-control 
You know, when we, are, we, we really need to learn this. <laughs> From criminals to teachers to professional athletes to politicians to clergy to billionaires, we find that we have trouble with self-control. Because you see it all over the news that where they're being charged with sex crimes of some sort. We also see that, that, lust, that lust to destroy the lives of others through false accusation is running rampant all around us. We see obsessive rants all over social media. We see that, we see that people are obsessed with making money more than they are with anything else in this world. And Peter is saying... As born-again believers, we must exercise self-control if we're going to ever grow in our faith. 1 John 2, 15 through 16 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And when we're allowing those lusts to control us, and we're not exercising self-control, and we're not exercising faith. Well, he continues, it's not enough for Peter to tell us that we need virtue, knowledge, and self-control. He tells us that we need to add perseverance to it. Perseverance is simply the, to, that we understand that whatever trial we're facing, whatever hardship we're going through, God is in the midst of it. And he, because he's in the midst of it, we can know that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us in whatever we're facing. Now, whatever we're facing now will make us stronger for the next valley that we're going to face. I don't know where you're at right now, but I know that if you're not in a valley, hold on. It's coming. All we got to do is live in this life, and there's going to come a hard time. It doesn't matter if you're saved or unsaved. A valley's coming. But when you're saved, we can know if, if we'll just persevere and just know that, that God's in the valley with us. You know the great thing about him being in the valley? He picked out the valley for us so he knows we can get through. We can weather the storm. But we got to persevere. Peter instructs us here to add godliness to this. Simply, Peter is, is charging us to live as Christ lived. He's saying that Jesus lived for the will of the Father and as born-again Christians, we no longer have the privilege to live for ourselves, but, but we've been bought with a price. We've been brought with, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. And if we're going to say that we're Christians, then by all means, we should live up to being a Christian. Peter continues by saying that there should be brotherly kindness added to our faith. He's telling us to add the kind of love that binds a family together. This is a deep-seated affection for one another that, that holds us near and dear to each other's hearts. And it comes from either being born of the same family or being born into the family of God. Man, if we're born into the family of God, there should be something, the Holy Spirit that lives within us, binding us together with one another. And then Peter, finally, he adds that we should add love to this. This is a love that goes as far, that goes so far, it's the love regardless of our feelings. 
It's easy for me to love you when you've done me well. <laughs> and it's easy for you to love me when I've done you well. But Peter's talking about a love that goes beyond how we feel about one another. It goes beyond how we're feeling in that moment in time. It's a love that, 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 that really holds us together. It's a love that where we'll love the unlovable. It's a love that is God loved us. You know, we don't deserve his love. If you think you deserve his love, I got news for you. You don't. <laughs> you don't. You never have and you never will. But he loves us anyway. In spite of who we are, he loves us. Peter is saying that we should add these things to our love because it'll change, or to our faith because it changes who we are. We begin to live up to our responsibility when we add these things to our faith. Several years ago, the devotional Daily Bread, many of you, some of you get that. There was a story that was told when Sheila and Mark moved into their new home. Sheila wondered about the neighbors. She wondered if they would accept her children and, and her dog. And, and soon she found out just what the neighbors thought. Shortly after they'd moved in, the kids were outside playing in the backyard and their football went across the fence. And as her little boy jumped the fence into the yard of an elderly man who lived next door, uh, the man chased him out of his yard, told, swore at him and told him not to never let it happen again. A few days later, the dog is barking. So Sheila goes outside to quieten the dog and there that same man's just waiting on her. Told her that if she didn't keep the dog quiet, he was going to call the police. And, and, and he cursed again at her. Can you imagine her dander rising at that time? He's not only cursed her, he's cursed her son. And now he's threatened the police. And here she is. Can you imagine her cheeks getting red? She's angry. And all these angry words come to her mind. But she doesn't use them. Let me tell you something. Contrary to popular opinion, you can never get to an age to where you have the right to say whatever comes to your mind. Say amen. amen. My grandmother used to say, I've lived long enough, I can say, if it comes to my mind, I'm going to say it. But she was wrong. And if you said it, you were wrong too. There's some things that need to just stay right where it's at amen. and not come out. If it's not godly, it don't, it don't have a right to come out. Yes, she, she held it in. You know what she did? Instead of expressing those words, she prayed. She gave, and she gave thought to how could she reach this man. Later that day while she was baking blueberry muffins. Oh, by the way, I love blueberry muffins. <laughs> she made an extra batch and then calling on God. She didn't do this in her own strength. She called on God for courage. She took a large plate of these blueberry muffins to the man next door and said, I made these for you. He didn't say very much in return, but he accepted the muffins. In the weeks that followed, Sheila continued to show kindness to this man. His attitude softened. And one day, she even led him to the Lord. Oh, this woman, she displayed virtue. She displayed knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. 
she displayed all of this. And Peter instructs us to add it to our faith. What he's instructing us to add to our faith is the fruit of the Spirit. When we add the fruit of the Spirit to our lives, it changes us. And we begin to take on Christ's life and forsake our, our old life. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, the Bible tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things become new. And before we get to show that to the world, we've got to add the fruit of the Spirit to our faith. Telling people about our faith is one thing, and we should do that. But we're instructed to live out our faith, and it's when we live out our faith that people see the genuineness of our faith. I don't know about you, but I, I just don't want anyone who's lost, anyone who's far from God, to point at me and say, if that man is a Christian and that man's going to make it to heaven, then I'm all right. Because truth of the matter is, they're not all right if they're lost. If you're here today and you're far from God, you're not all right. You can't leave this world and be right with God until you get right with him here on earth. Instead, I want people to look at my life and say he must be a Christian because it's only by serving Christ that he can live the way he lives. I believe that sh that's what every Christian in here desires. If it's not, I hope it is. But if it's not, I pray that you'll find a place to have a talk with Jesus. That you tell him all about your troubles. Because he'll hear you cry. And he'll answer you by and by. Peter instructs us to add to our faith, add the fruit of the Spirit to our faith. And when we do, he tells us that the inevitable will take place. Now, if we add these, the fruit of the Spirit, to our faith, and they abound, meaning that they continue to grow and increase in our lives, then our lives will be more fruitful. But not only will our lives be fruitful, but we'll grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's sad is that too many, too many Christians only know about Jesus. Too many know that he is God's only begotten son. They know that he died on the cross for their sins. They know that he arose on the third day. They know that under his own power, he defeated death, hell, and the grave. They know that he's coming back and they know enough to be saved, but they don't know anything else. And I want to tell you, there comes a time in our lives when we need to know him as our elder brother. There comes a time in our lives when we need to know him as our comforter. There's going to come a time in our lives when we need to know that, that he is everything that we need in that moment. How many of us actually experience Jesus at work in our lives? The more we get to know him in an intimate way, the more the fruit of the Spirit begins to reign in our lives. And it's this that gives us all the assurance that soon and very soon we'll get to enter into the abundance of glory. The abundance of God's everlasting kingdom where we'll dwell with Jesus for all eternity. That's what's inevitable if we add the fruit of the Spirit to our faith. But what's inevitable if we refuse to, if we lack the fruit of the Spirit with our faith, we will be unfruitful. Peter says we'll be short-sighted and blind. 
He goes as far as to say that we'll, we'll even forget that we've been cleansed. What does this mean? It means that we, if we're not diligently seeking to grow in our faith, then we're going to find ourselves in a backslidden condition. And we'll die in a backslidden condition until we start to diligently seek to grow in our faith. We will find ourselves more concerned about pleasing ourselves than we will about pleasing the Lord. We'll find ourselves absent from the joy of our salvation. We're all familiar with the storyline of King David. And Bathsheba, how David, a man after God's own heart, lost sight of his responsibility and he sought to please himself instead of being the king that God would have him to be. A man after God's own heart. David was in a terrible backslidden condition. He, so that he followed after his lust, his lust of the flesh, his lust of the eyes, his pride of life. And this resulted in an adulterous affair, the murder of a trusted, faithful soldier, the death of a child. And it was when David's sin was brought to his attention, when he come to his senses, that he realized how far out of fellowship he was with God. And he cried out to God. We find in Psalm 51 and 12, David cries out, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous strength or your generous spirit. Folks, the inevitable will take place. We can allow the fruit of the Spirit to abound in our lives and we will grow in our faith and our lives will be fruitful, but we can refuse it. And we'll find ourselves missing out on the joy and the peace that only comes from a right relationship with God. Folks, let's, it's up to us. That's, it's up to us because it's our responsibility. God desires to be active in our lives. So it's up to us about where we're going to be. The inevitable is going to take place. How is it going to take place in our lives? Well, Peter instructs us to add to our faith. He also shares that the inevitable will take place. But he continues to share the importance of the things of salvation. Here we see Peter is talking about the things of salvation, how we, our faith and how we grow in our faith. And it appears at this point, as Peter's writing, he understands his death is approaching or he is or he's sure he's going to be killed for his faith. One, he, he, he's, I, I don't know exactly what's going on with him right now, but it seems like death is imminent. So he tells us how important he considers these things of salvation to be. He says that they're so important that he's always going to preach and teach these things. He says, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. So he's going to continue to remind the believers so that they will be established in the truth. As a matter of fact, Peter goes on to say that he's going to continue to stir the believers with these things as long as he's in his flesh. In other words, as long as he's alive, he's going to preach and teach and stir the believers of the things of salvation. And he goes as far as to saying that he, that when he's no longer here, in his flesh, I think here in, in the New King James, he says in his tent, when he's no longer in the tent, he's no longer alive, he will ensure that they are still reminded of the things of salvation. 
the things of salvation were so important to Peter that he ensured that he or someone would write these teachings down. Folks, we have the things of salvation today. They are preserved and they're recorded in languages so that we can read them and we can reread them and we can reread them. They have been left for us and they will be left for those who follow us. Isaiah 40 and 8 tells us that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Many of you today have heard preaching and teaching, have heard the preaching and teaching of God's word. You've heard preaching and teaching of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ for most of your lives. Now, for some of you, that's been a little bit longer than others. <laughs> Yeah, some of you's heard that a lot longer than others. But the truth is, I'm preaching from the same book that every preacher who's ever stepped in the pulpit at Reedy Branch Baptist Church has ever preached. It may be a different translation, but it's the same message all the others have preached. There is no new revelation of salvation. The message of salvation was the same in 1881 as it is today. And John 14 and 6 tells, Jesus tells us, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And I want to assure you that the message of salvation is so important to me that I'm going to continue to preach with passion that salvation only comes through Jesus Christ that we must believe that he is the son of God. He was born a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He died for the sin of the world. He arose under his own power on the third day, conquering death, hell, and the grave. He's, he's now sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he's soon coming back. And we must ask him to forgive us of our sins and receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. I will, as long as there's breath in my body, as long as I'm in my right mind, I will preach this because I know it's the truth. I've got to the point that I'm leaving it here with me or with you when I'm gone. How do you know that, preacher? Because I've taught my daughter. Some of you have been saved under the ministry since I've been here. And I'm going to preach it to you as long as I've got breath and I'm able to so that you can share it regardless of, of when I'm here or when I'm not here. My, my daughter, when I'm dead and gone, she can continue to share it with her children and grandchildren. But when I have a grandchild, I'm going to make sure he knows about Jesus. I'm going to ensure that it's left behind. I'm going to ensure that the truth is shared. And I want to ask you who are parents, who are grandparents, who are about to be parents, what are you leaving behind? for your children why are you passionately preaching why are you passionately teaching why are you sharing that you want them to have when you're no longer here some of you are just having children some of you are about to have children I want to tell you if you're here and you don't know Jesus you need to know that there's something in your legacy that you can leave behind that means something more than this life and the only thing you can give them that will mean more than this life is knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's your responsibility. We can dedicate the children. We're going to have a dedication next month, and I'm going to enjoy that ceremony. It's going to be a wonderful time, but I want to assure you it means nothing if we don't share Jesus with these children. Man, why would you look at a precious gift that God has given us and fail to give it the most precious gift that you can?
Jesus Christ. Why? And I, I want to tell you, <laughs> I'm leaving it behind for me. I want people to know about Jesus when I'm gone. The consolers recorded these words. May the works I've done speak for me. May the works I've done speak for me. When I'm resting in my grave and there's nothing more to be said, may the works, the works I've done, let them speak for me. May the life I live speak for me. May the life I live speak for me. When I'm resting in my grave and there's nothing more to be said, may the life, the life I live, let it speak for me. The works I've done sometimes seem so small. It seems like I've done nothing at all. Lord, I'm leaning and depending on you. If I do right, you're going to see me through. May the words I've done, let it speak for me. Well, we hope you've enjoyed the message today. And if you happen to not have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, we want to invite you to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. It's as simple as the ABCs. If you would admit that you are a sinner and that you are in need of a Savior and believe that God sent His very Son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth to be the sacrifice for our sins and that He died for our sins and He arose on the third day. And then if you would confess Him as your Lord and Savior, you can be saved. You must believe this with all your heart and you must be willing to serve Him. If you are, all you have to do is talk with Jesus. You don't need a preacher. You don't need a church to get saved. But if you get saved, find yourself a Bible-believing church. And I believe God will richly bless you.